0: Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Meneses. As you, I'm sure you know, the COVID-19 virus has stopped the world. The world is at a standstill unprecedented of what's happening today. No longer can handshakes be dealt, or at least uh, not with some worriness, and no more sort of, you know, friendly hugs, and stay apart, and stay distant, and you stand there, I'll stand here, you go to the store, and they have lines that show us that, you know, we should stand this far apart. They call it social distancing, But my thesis today is this, that though it might be time for social distancing, it's time for divine closeness. Now, what we're going to see today is a great theme in the Bible, but as we begin to get into that, when we begin to think the concept of God and adjectives to begin to describe who God is… We begin to use adjectives like this. Now, you might want to maybe tell me or at least tell somebody at home what you think these words mean, and we use the adjective to describe God, and here's one of them, that God is omniscient. Anybody know what that means, that God is omniscient? It means that God knows all things. God is omniscient. We use adjectives like this, that God is omnipresent. What does that mean, that God is omnipresent? That God is where? He's everywhere, right? God is omnipresent. He's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. I mean, God can, you can give these adjectives to God because that's who God is. I mean, God is God. We use another one, and it's a difficult one, not one used all the time. It's called that God is omnific. Do you know what it means that God is omnific? Anybody at home, kids? That God is the creator of all things, omnific. And then the last one I'm going to use here is that God is omnipotent. What does that mean? Yeah, God is all powerful. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. God is omnipotent, He He is all-powerful. Go to Genesis chapter 1 if you have your Bibles, and again, I invite you to open up your Bibles with me at home, please. I pray we can put all aside at the moment, focus on the Word of God, allow the Spirit to work in our hearts. God truly is all-powerful. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read here verse 3. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's power. God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. Look at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, Then God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Look at verse 7. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And then there are four words here. And the Bible says, and it was, and it was so. Look at verse 9. God truly is omnipotent, all-powerful. He can speak things into creation by the word of His mouth. Verse nine, the Bible says, "And God said, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear." And what's the four words again? And it was so. Look at verse 11. A few, look at verse 11, the Bible says, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And guess what the next four words are? And it was so. Just a few more, look at verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, then God said, let the earth bring, uh, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. To divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for the days and years, and let them be the lights, let, let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. One more verse 24. Then God, what's the word? Then God said. Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle according to its ki- creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And guess what? When God spoke, the Bible says, and it was so. God is powerful. God is all-powerful. God can speak life into existence. Can you say amen? This is the true God, the living God. The Bible says, it's on the screen. Take a look here in the book of Psalm. By the what? What's this? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That means to respect and honor God. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? For He, what's the word here? For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Can a believer in God say amen? God truly is omnipotent, all-powerful. He speaks life into existence. He spoke and it happened. Let there be light and there was light. He called uh, and He spoke and living creatures began to come forth. God speaks and life appears. But now here's something very powerful and interesting, that when it comes to mankind, the Bible gives us a more intimate picture of how God created man. Do you know this? Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and the Lord God, what's the word that you have in your Bible? I hope it says formed. And God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And my version says, and man became a living being. The King James says, and man became a living soul. He lived. Now, look. God here says, in the Bible says, that God did not speak man into existence. He didn't say, Adam, come uh, appear, and Adam just appears there and begins to walk towards God. No, 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 no. The Bible says that God formed man, Adam, of the dust of the ground. Now, listen. Listen. The word form there in the Hebrew is the word that shows us how a potter forms clay. Anybody at home or anywhere ever formed pottery before? I can't see your hands, but if you're raising your hand, that's nice. (laughs) Have you ever seen somebody form pottery? How does that look like when somebody forms pottery? They get close, and their hands get dirty, and they are there forming and intimate with the object they're forming. Look what the Bible is teaching us, that God knelt down on his knees, began as a potter forms clay, begins to form man of the dust. He's getting close. He's approaching Adam here as he's forming him, and then breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. That means he gets even closer. Now, There are only about one, two, three people that I will get close enough, or they can actually get close enough to me to breathe into my nostrils, or I breathe into their nostrils. Guess who they are? It's called the wife and kids. Now, guess what? If you're dying, I'll make the exception, and I'll actually try to do what I can to help you out. Amen? But what we see here is that God is a God, though He's all-powerful, though He can speak things into existence, though He speaks planets into existence by the breath of His mouth, we see that the true God of the universe is a God who desires and longs for closeness and intimacy. Now, this is a revolutionary concept here. Because did you know that history has shown us that the way that usually God was viewed was this way, that God is there and we're here and we have to appease God to sort of get his favor or for anything like that. That's why you get the picture of like Martin Luther as when he was in Rome there. If you know the story that Martin Luther would begin to climb up the stairs there in Rome when he went there on his knees. People still do that today. They they climb on with their knees up on steps and they they're doing this to appease God, that maybe this will uh, uh, get God closer to them and maybe even bless them more. But let me say something, friends. You don't have to climb upstairs on your knees, hallelujah, because the Bible says that God longs to be close to us. He loves us the way that we are. That God longs to be near His people, His creation. Are you with me so far? Now, we begin to see this in more detail when in chapter 3, the Bible says that after Adam and Eve sinned that God was there walking in the garden. In other words, again, God longs to be close to His creation there. He, He walks in the garden with them. He longs for that closeness. But then it says that, of course, Adam ran from God, but God continued to approach and, and, um, and still uh, draw to, uh, close to Adam. He, he, he didn't run from Adam. Adam ran from him. Are you with me? And now look at this. We're gonna about to get deeper in regards to God's closeness and desire to be close to His people. We're going to see that God longs for closeness, and that He never leaves His people. If you have your Bible, go to Exodus, Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, you might have heard or know that God has created beings other than humanity. God has created angels and, uh, I believe, other beings in other worlds. And we're going to see here that the sanctuary, the tabernacle, has always existed even before sin entered the world. Now, we're going to see that the heavenly sanctuary had a function prior to sin entering the world. And we're going to see again that after sin entered the world, the function of the heavenly sanctuary changed, but... The sanctuary in heaven did not appear after sin came, it had always been there. Now in Ezekiel chapter 28, we usually like to study this chapter on the fall of Lucifer who becomes the adversary or Satan, but we're not going to focus on that today. We're going to focus and see that the sanctuary in heaven, the true tabernacle, has always existed even before sin, and there was a certain function to it, We're in Ezekiel 28 let's study this out. Ezekiel chapter 28. The concept of closeness is something that God has always desired and had. In Ezekiel chapter 28, if you're at home, you can say amen. Hopefully you're there. Ezekiel 28. And again, our focus is not on the fall of Lucifer, but that the sanctuary had always been in existence, when Ezekiel 28, look at verse beginning in verse 12. Let's begin there. It says, "Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty." Now, I don't think the king of Tyre was ever perfect in beauty. And what the Bible says here, the seal of perfection. What the Bible is doing here, he is describing the being behind um, the king of Tyre, the being who's sort of orchestrating things behind the scenes of the king of Tyre. It's talking about Lucifer here before he becomes the adversary. Are you with me so far, okay? Let's keep reading here. Again, our focus is not on the fall of Lucifer, but let's keep reading to see what God says here in verse 13. Speaking again about Lucifer before he fell, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, look at this. Every precious stone was your covering, and you've probably read this before, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and jasper, sapphire, and turquoise, and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. Look at verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. Did you know that this is sanctuary language? Cherub is a being we see in the sanctuary, I hope you know that, and not just any part of the sanctuary, a being who was actually in the most holy place, and he was the closest or one of the closest to God. The the cherub covered or was there on the mercy seat. This is sanctuary language. Now, listen carefully. You might not know that also the rendering of the stones here, the sardis, the topaz, the emerald, the the onyx, and all those stones there is also sanctuary language. Let me show you from the Bible. If you go to the book of Exodus or uh, um, um, Hebrew, let me show you here first that the heavenly sanctuary is the true tabernacle, and it was never the earthly one. The earthly tabernacle was just a model of the true sanctuary. What I'm showing you here again is this, that the sanctuary, the tabernacle has always existed. And it's where the true sanctuary dwells, not on earth, but in heaven. You see, in Hebrews, he brings this out. Now, the main point, it's on the screen, but now the main point of what we are saying is this, that we, we do have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty where? In heaven. Look at this. And who serves in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human hands. Now, there's so much here, and I praise God that Christ today is my high priest and that heavenly sanctuary, can you say amen? God never sleeps. God never takes lunch breaks. God never says, hey, I'll see you in the morning. I'm going to sleep. Never, never. God, the Bible says, longs and lives to intercede for us, hallelujah. But our point is this, that the true sanctuary has always been in heaven. And what we're seeing here, when we see Lucifer being explained here before his fall, it's all sanctuary language. The covering cherub, sanctuary language. The stones we're going to see, it's all sanctuary language. Let's continue with the Bible here in the book of Hebrews. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is where in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, and he quotes now the Old Testament. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Again, the earthly sanctuary was just a copy, a pattern of the true sanctuary in heaven. In Hebrews 9, the Bible says, but when Christ came as high priest, Uh, of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, with the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's what? In God's presence. Now, Bible is clear that the earthly sanctuary is a copy of the true sanctuary where? In heaven. And again... When we look to Lucifer and before he fell, we begin to see that the sanctuary was there. He uses sanctuary language, covering cherub, and he uses the stones, again, the sardis, topaz, emerald, and what I'm going to show you now in the Bible, all those stones are connected to the sanctuary. Take a look. So in Exodus 28, look at this here, all the stones mentioned in Ezekiel 28 describing Lucifer before he fell are all stones that are part of the sanctuary. Again, what are we seeing here? That the heavenly sanctuary did not come into existence after the fall or after sin. It had always been there. But we're going to see with a different function. But Look at this here. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. Again, this is context of sanctuary. Now, look at this. And you shall put settings of, what's the words? of stones," there's our word, "...in it for the rows of stones. The first row shall be a," look at these stones here, "...a sardis, and a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, and a sapphire, and a diamond. And the fourth, fourth row shall be a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper." Wow, look at this here. And it continues to say, "...they shall be set in gold," what? Settings. Ezekiel 28, the stones that describe Lucifer before he fell are all stones that are applied to the sanctuary. My friends, did you know that the heavenly sanctuary had always existed even before sin came to the world? Now look, when the Bible says in Ezekiel that the timbrels and pipes There in Ezekiel, those also is sanctuary language. That was talking about the music and the kind of music played there in the sanctuary service as well. You see, let me read to you something here. Um, uh, We'll get there in in a second. But now go to chapter Ezekiel 28, and now go to verse 14 again in verse 16. Look at this again. I'm showing you again that the heavenly sanctuary had always existed. And we're going to see its original function in a minute. Back to Ezekiel 28, look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. Now look at this. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Now go to verse 16. Go to verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. And it says, therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Hold on to that there, mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Again this is all sanctuary language. The heavenly sanctuary was there before sin, but now let's see what its function was before sin entered. Now, listen, God said here that Lucifer walked on the mountain of God. What are the words? The mountain of God. Now, the parallel verse or chap- and chapter that deal with the fall of Lucifer is in Isaiah 14. Let's go there in the Bible, and let's unpack more what the mountain of God is described like, okay? Go now to Isaiah chapter 14. Now, as you're turning there, let me review. We see here that God longs for closeness. It pulsates from the very heart of God. He longs to be close to His created beings. Hallelujah. We then see here that the heavenly sanctuary did not come in after sin came to the world. It actually was there long, even before sin. It had always been there, the heavenly sanctuary. Are you with me so far? Now we're going to see what was the function of the sanctuary before sin. Now, the words that we hold on to are the mountain of God, Lucifer was on the mountain of God the Bible describes in Ezekiel. It has all sorts of sanctuary language there. Now we're in Isaiah 14, and let's get or unpack more, get deeper on what the function of the heavenly sanctuary was. And we also saw that the term timbrels and pipes uh, are words described in the sanctuary in regards to music, okay? Now, we're in Isaiah chapter 14. Are we there? I hope. And look at verse... 12 and 13. What was the original function of the heavenly sanctuary before sin entered the world? Now look. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut to the, down to the ground, you who weaken the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now look at this. I will also sit on the mount or the mountain, but in Isaiah, it doesn't say the mountain of God, it says here, the mount or mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Now, some versions might say on the mount of the assembly, of the congregating. What does it mean to congregate? What does it mean to congregate? To come together, to assemble together. Now, look at this. What the Bible is teaching us is that the function of the sanctuary was a place where there was assembly and congregating, worship and music, that they would come together, draw physically close to God, and worship the Almighty, and sing music and congregate what the Bible is telling us here, that the function of the heavenly sanctuary was, before sin, a place for congregating and coming together and music and worship, and God here was drawing or would come, and they would come close to God because God loves to be close to His created beings. In the book, Story of Redemption, I'm going to share with you something here, but in a second, I love what the NLT version says of Hebrews 8.1. Take a look at this. There He ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of what? Yeah, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Now, look at this. In the story of redemption, the spirit of prophecy tells us this. Page 25, the hour for, what's the word there, joyful, happy songs of praise to God, And his dear son had come. Now look at the words. Therefore, a time came where there was a time now that had arrived that all of a sudden there's going to be uh, joyful, happy songs to God to be sung. A time had arrived. And guess what we had learned? That the heavenly sanctuary was a place where there was what? Congregating and assembly. And they came together to sing and praise God as God drew close to his creation. Look at this, he had raised, now look at this, Satan had led the heavenly choir. Now, obviously, she's referring to Lucifer before he became Satan, so here Lucifer led the heavenly choir. How do we know? Because the Bible said that the timbrels and pipes, again, this is language of sanctuary and song and music, led the heavenly choir. He had raised the first note. Then all the angelic hosts had united with Him, and glorious strains of music had resounded through heaven in honor of God and His dear Son. Again, look at the picture. It's what the Bible is teaching us, that the heavenly sanctuary who was there long before sin had a different function. It was a function of congregating and gathering and praising and drawing close to God and worshiping Him. Can you say amen? But now instead of strains of sweetest music, Discording, angry words fall upon the ear of the great rebel leader. Now here's the thing, when Adam and Eve sinned, stay with me, and they rebelled against God, the Bible says this, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 on the screen, "'Behold, the Lord's hand is not a shortened that He cannot save, nor His ear heavy that He cannot hear but your iniquity have what what's the word here have separated you from your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear it's not that god does not want to hear he does want to hear it's not that god turns his his points does this no i don't want to hear you know that's not what it's saying at all what it's saying is that when we sin against god we are in a a, a moment of sinning we we separate ourselves from god i know i don't know about you but when I have sinned against God, I feel distant from God. It's not that God wants to be distant from us. It's that the, our sins lead us from God. Does that make sense there? And guess what that does? That hurts God. Did you know that we can hurt God? Did you know that a God who here likes to be close to family members and those you love? Anybody here? Does it hurt you when you, when they either, mostly by action, because action speaks louder than words, amen, that when they begin to distance themselves from you, does that feel nice? Does that make you happy? Does that make you sad and unhappy? So, look at this. When we tell God that we don't want to be close to Him, when we uh, hold on to sin, when we perpetually uh, uh, put God aside, we hurt God. Why? Because we we cause that distance there with Him, and He longs to be close to us always. Now, here's the thing. When Adam and Eve sinned, the sanctuary had, again, the, the theme of closeness, they all congregated together, came close, and were close to God. Are you with me? But then, out of God's wisdom, the function of the heavenly sanctuary changed to begin to show, look at this, the plan of salvation, how does a sinner approach a holy God? thy way is to the sanctuary, the Bible says. You see, it was that God was in the most holy place, and the sinner would come, confess their sins to the Lamb, symbolically transferring their sins there. The Lamb would be slain, and then the blood would be carried and into the holy place, and then once a year into the most holy place. And in a sense, The sinner was cleansed, and therefore, again, were made right with God. The sanctuary, though the function had changed, the principle was still there. How we draw close to God, can you say amen? Now look at this. We then come to the Bible, and Moses there is on Mount Sinai, and he says this to Moses. It's on the screen here. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may… What's the word there? dwell among them. Yes. Because the sanctuary was a place or theme of God dwelling or being close to his creation. Can you say amen? So here God takes the initiative and says, "You know what? I'm not going to stand here in heaven and say, well, you know, too bad for you. I hope you work things out." No, he said, no, "I long to be with them." Therefore, he says, "Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." Why? Because the sanctuary had always had the theme of closeness and togetherness. Are you with me? And now God comes and dwells with them. Now, the word dwell there in the Hebrew, now, who, who here has ever spent the night at somebody's house? Fess up, you there at home, kids, you got to be careful. But, you know, uh, so, when I was younger, when I was a little younger, you know, I'm a young guy. When I was a little younger, My sister and I's friend, it was a secret operation here. He was going to come spend the night and our parents were not going to know about it. <laughs> okay, that's the truth. That's what we had conjured up in our little, right? So what we, we, my sister and I, we were looking out. It was dark, you know, and it, we lived in the car, apartment complex. So we're not very far away, and he lived in a, a complex just down, the, down the, the way there. And my sister and I were looking uh, out of our window, and our friend had a pillow in one hand and a blanket in another, and he was sort of hiding behind cars and, you know, trying to get to our house unknowingly. Are you with me? But the word dwell here in the Hebrew does not mean that God is wanting to come spend the night. The word dwell there in the Hebrew means this, that you receive a knock at your door, you open the door, and it's God, and guess what? He has his pillow and his blanket, and then behind him, he has his couch, and he has his bed set, and he has everything else. The word dwell there means not to spend the night, but I'm moving in. permanently, right? Move your stuff over. My stuff's coming in. Are you with me? That God here says that I want to dwell with them, not just for one night or two. I want to move in. I want to be with them always, always. So, we see this, that God wanted to be close to them, and He never leaves His people. Look at this here. When God led them to the very steps of the Promised Land, what was the name of the Promised Land? It was the land of Canaan. The Bible says that He sent out spies. And did they all come back with good news? No. Only two did. The others did not, and the, the people followed um, not Caleb and Joshua. They followed the crowd, and they rebelled against God, and God said, you're not going to enter the promised land. You, you don't want to go in anyway. You don't trust in me. You-, you don't confide in me. So, God says, only Jacob, uh, Caleb, and Joshua in those 20 years and, and younger will go in. So, what happened is that God's people went back into the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Now, here's my question. Did God stay at the border of Canaan and say, hey, I'll see you in 40 years? Is that what God did? He went with them, and he never left them. Even in the wilderness, God remained with them. As the sanctuary was there, God says, I never leave my people. I'm going to be with you always. Are you with me? This is the heart of God. The heart of God is desiring closeness and wanting to be close to us. And it hurts him when we don't want to be close to him by words and more by actions, of course. And we turn our back and God hurts God. But he says, I long to not just be with you one night or two. I want to live. I want to live in your heart. I want to be there. I long closeness. And here's the thing. No matter what wilderness you might go through, though you might push me away, I'm still going to be there for you. Hallelujah. Because God never leaves his people. Are you with me? And then, a few more things here, the Bible says that God then took it a step further and became a man. Look at what the Bible says. In Matthew 1, on the screen, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated, what's the three words there? God with us. Now look at this here, and it says in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's our word again, and we beheld his glory, the glory of uh, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word dwelt there, it means to tabernacle, that Christ came and tabernacled with his people now, here again now in the flesh. It's a mystery, but hallelujah, that God now takes it a step further, comes in the flesh and says, you know what, I'm going to come here, I'm going to minister to you, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to be here for you. And we see the life of Jesus showing us who God truly is. Close to His people. What did I say? Close. This pulsates in God's heart, closeness, intimacy. It does with us, does it not? And what Satan does is he puts everything in the way where we begin to show God that we put other things in priority, and we say, Lord, no, I, I, I actually want to put this closer to me than You. How do we do this? By putting things above God. We have to spend time with God, amen? So, though the time today is social distancing, it's even a greater time for divine closeness. That's what God longs for. Now, here's the thing. After Christ died for our sins, rose for us, and then went to the true tabernacle as our high priest, of course, in the role that it had now been sort of switched. Did God leave us alone after He went back to heaven, or did He send another? Go to the book of John. Go to the book of John, quickly. After His death and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. God did not leave us alone or humanity alone. He sent what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Hallelujah. Look at John chapter 14, 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. We're about done here. After Christ leaves and goes back to heaven, He then sends the Holy Spirit, guess what? To be with us and in us. He never leaves His people, ever. John 14, the Bible says in verse 16 and 17, and I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another helper. Your version might say another a comforter. There, it's, it's a hard rendering there to do in the English there. It means this. Look at me here. It means this. Uh, those at home, follow along here. The word for helper or comforter or whatever it might be, it means this, that if this mic stand could walk, if it could walk, and it was walking, it. That 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 Spirit walks beside us. Wherever we go, He goes. He never leaves us. He will He's the comforter. He's the helper. And there's other words there. He never ever leaves us. Look what he keeps saying. Look at this. Therefore he says, I will pray to the Father and He will give you another helper, that he may abide. What does it say there? With you for how long? forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells, there's that word again, for He dwells with us. And not just does He want to be with us and walk everywhere we are, but He wants to be in us and be intimate and and, and, and in our hearts, therefore, to be close to us. That's God's desire. We see it throughout all the Bible a God who who speaks worlds into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be planets, and there are planets. But here we see a God that though He's all-powerful, omniscient, and omnipresent, and all these adjectives there, He's also a God who longs to be close to His creation. This is the true God. Now, I hope you're sitting down at home because guess what? As we close, look at this. Before sin… Was there a heavenly sanctuary? There was. The function was this, a congregating, coming together, worship and music, and God was close to them. Are you with me? Sin enters the world the function of the heavenly sanctuary changes here. Same principle, same principle of closeness, uh, but now it begins to show us how that works in our sinful state. Thy way is to the sanctuary, Jesus, uh, the Bible says there, and Christ uh, now as our substitute comes and shows us that through Him we can be drawn close to the Father. Now listen very carefully. But the Bible promised now Christ then comes in the flesh. God comes in the flesh and dwells with His people even more personally. He then leaves and goes back to the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest, and He sends the Holy Spirit. He's still with us to be with us and in us, still closeness and intimacy. Now look at this. And then one day, when God does away with sin, can you say amen? And He'll return in the clouds, gather His people, We spend a thousand years with Him in heaven. After the millennium, the city comes out of heaven to the earth. You find this in Revelation chapter 20, 21. And now go to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to finish with this. We're going to see that the heavenly sanctuary's role will then return to its original function after sin is eradicated. Take a look. Revelation 21, Say, and if you're there, look at verse 1 through 3, Revelation, last book of the Bible. As we close here, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. There's our word, tabernacle, the sanctuary is with men. And he will, what's the word there? Yes, He will dwell. These are a word. They they don't go away. They just keep popping up. Are you? (laughs) Just keep popping up. And the tabernacle would be with men, and He's going to dwell with them again. He's going to dwell with them. We continue. We're in verse 3. And He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. In other words, there's no more sin. He's done away with all that, for the former things have what? Passed away. Can somebody say amen? And now, last verse, after God does away with sin, and the tabernacle of God is with men again, and He's with them again physically, guess what? The role of the heavenly sanctuary before sin entered will return go to Isaiah 66. Take a look as we close with this. The role of the heavenly sanctuary will return to its original function. Now, don't forget that before sin, what was the function of the heavenly sanctuary? It was called the mountain of assembly, the mountain of congregations that they would come together and they would praise and sing and honor God. Are you with me so far? And or in Isaiah 66, and let's see that that will return. Isaiah 66, Isaiah 66, and look at verse 22 and 23. This is incredible. The Bible says, for as the new heavens and new earth shall, I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Look at verse 23 very carefully. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh. What does it say there? It says, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Isn't that what they were doing in the sanctuary before sin entered? It was. After sin, the sanctuary, the true one, reverts back to its original function, a function of congregating and assembly and song and worship and closeness together as we worship our King. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it interesting that today Satan, through this COVID-19, is trying to uh, disrupt God's people coming together here in the building that we call the sanctuary? Now we can't congregate together anymore like we used to. It's not just coming to church, friends. There's a reason where God wants His people to come together. It's always been like this. even. For sin. It's just a little glimpse of heaven. Unfortunately, Satan likes to come in and, and disrupt the church, but God forbid God's people have any resentment. Uh, we're here to, to love and, and congregate and worship our King, and guess what? After sin, that it will still continue, but guess what? At that time, Satan is no more. Can you say amen? It's not changed. God's desire for closeness has never changed. There we go, therefore, last verse of the, of the, of the message, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. I've seen this to hold true. It's true. So though it might be time for social distancing, which doesn't really make too much sense, in regards to we're not being socially distant, we're just being physically distant, it's time for divine closeness. Because you know what, I think some of us have more time on our hands than we used to have before. And let me say this unapologetically, it's not to watch more Netflix. You might not like that, but I think it's probably time to draw closer to Jesus. Because when Christ returns, you're not going to say, oh man, I should have I seen some more movies. You're not going to do that. When Christ returns, you're not going to say, oh man, I wish I would have played some more games on the computer. You're not going to do that. God forbid that you're going to say, I wish I spent more time with Jesus. That will be the regret of many people. I didn't spend enough time to get to know Jesus knowing that he wanted to get to know me better and be close to me, but I didn't want to be close to God. Friends, now is the time for divine closeness. This is serious business. I'm so thankful that I serve a God who, though might call planets into existence, longs to be close to me, in an intimate matter. I pray you can say today, Lord, forgive me for not being close to you, knowing that you want to be close to me, but you can make that choice today, this Sabbath, to say, Lord, I want to draw closer to Jesus. I want to be close to God. I want to spend more time with Jesus. I you your desire at home to make that commitment today I want you at home to raise your hand, okay? For those of you here, if that's your decision and you want to make that commitment today, raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to spend more time with Jesus. I want to get to know Jesus better. Amen. Though it might be time for social distancing, it's time for divine presence, a divine closeness. Robert Manessis is the pastor at the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9 30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website universitypkwy.org or at livestream a library of previous messages is available on our youtube channel and on our website thank you for listening